So, we are busy with the top 10 hits, the 10 topics that Jesus spoke about the most. And last week we um, figured out that he spoke the most about what? About God. And I've spoken to a few of you and you've given me some really cool story, stories as to this week how you can just say the word God in conversation. And there's various ways that you can do that. And some of you have come back and given me some really great feedback. I've managed to use the word God in quite a few sentences as well. And I say praise God for, for those opportunities. Luke chapter 18 verse 8 says, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? One of the things that we can do to make faith continue on the earth is to mention God. When we talk about Him, we bring it into people's consciousness and make them think about Him. So well done to you. Every conversation you had that mentioned the word God, you've contributed to the faith that Jesus is going to look for when He comes back. And so the question in this morning is, what is the second thing that Jesus spoke about the most? I'm not going to do a drum roll. He spoke about heaven. Secondly, he spoke about heaven. 66 times he mentions the word heaven. He speaks about the temple of my God, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, 101 times. He uses the word paradise twice. He talks about his father's house once. He talks about the throne of thrones six times. He talks about eternal life 70 times. And he talks about the future age, the age to come, eternal life 23 times and then he mentions the concept of us finding that eternal life at least three times. So altogether, Jesus mentions, uh, refers to heaven 273 times. That's three times less than the word God. So it seems like Jesus is pretty much impressed with God, but also with the place where God actually lives. That's why he talks about it. If he came from God, of course, he will talk about God. And if he came from heaven... Of course, he would talk about heaven. In actual fact, he was the only one who's ever been in heaven. Listen to this text, John chapter 3 and verse 13. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So when Jesus talks about heaven, he's got first-hand knowledge, first-hand um, eyewitness testimony. He knows what it is about. And I'm so thankful that he did talk about it. So quick question. What did Jesus do on earth with his experience of heaven? Just quickly. Three things. Number one, he paved the way to heaven. That's the whole reason why Jesus came. Not only did he um, uh, come from heaven without a purpose. He came with a purpose. To seek and save those who are lost. God wants people to be with him. That's the whole purpose of Project Earth. To find a way for human beings who are sinful to make it to the place where God lives, which is heaven. So that's the first thing that Jesus came to, um, to do. To pave the way to heaven. And secondly, he showed the ways of heaven. He came to reveal the Father who lives in heaven. He came to show the heart of God. But also, he brought heaven here. He brought heaven down. So he was in heaven. He came to earth and he came to show us, give us a taste of what heaven is about. We, we read about that in the Lord's Prayer, right? Matthew 6 verse 10. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we speak of heaven, we are not just talking about going to heaven one day. 
We are talking about bringing heaven here to the earth. That's what we're supposed to be doing. If you're a disciple of Christ, you are supposed to make life more heavenly on earth. We are supposed to make life more pleasant. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? When the earthly behave heavenly, the earth becomes more heavenly. The reason why life is hard and tough is because we are non-heavenly. We act worldly. We act fleshly. We don't act like Christ. If every person on earth acted like Christ, it would have been heaven on earth, essentially. The third thing that Jesus also did was, is that he advertised the reality of heaven. He preached about it. He wanted people to know about this place. The place where he was with his father. The text says, before the world began, he was with his father there. The, the place that he had lived in for all of eternity. Now, let me give you a quick illustration to make, to, to put this all together. So, um, I came to visit the States quite a few times since 2000, well, 2007 and then since 2018 uh, meeting the church here. And every time I'd go back home, people who's never been to the States would say to me, so, so what is it like? You know, what, what, you know, we see, I say, well, it's pretty much like, much of it is like what you see on TV. Um, but in any case, then I, I'll tell him a few things like this. Um, I'll tell him about, dude, they've got machines that clean the streets. Now, if you've never been in a third world country, you will know what I'm talking about. The streets don't get cleaned in a third world country. You've got to see this, man. It's like a V6 engine running down the street, cleaning, picking up stuff. It's incredible. These people care about the streets being cleaned. In the town where I live, you can get six meals a week for free. Six nights in a week, you can go eat for free. Ladies and gentlemen, in a third world country, you don't eat free. You don't eat free. You, you, if there's no food, you suffer. You struggle. I said, well, you, you must check these guys. You must check out their, their pickup trucks. Those things are huge. You can drive over a mountain and drive over a building with that thing. Incredibly beautiful. Jobs everywhere. You go through the McDonald's drive through and there isn't a sign, no soliciting. There's a sign, we are looking for people. We are hiring. There's jobs everywhere. You don't see that in third world countries. You've got to go beg. You've got like a hundred guys standing at McDonald's. Please, can I have a job? Uh, clean rivers. We've been swimming in the rivers since the summer has came. It's incredible. And, you, you know, you swim and you swallow a half a gallon of water. In Africa, you do that and you think, okay, here comes Bellagia. I'm going to be half dead by tomorrow. In, in America, it's like, oh, that's refreshing. You can just drink out of the river. I remember visiting with... Um, with the church the first time went with Raleigh to go visit a lady down the street and he he, he was just gone for like 15 minutes and I'm like he eventually comes in and I'm it feels a bit awkward I'm in this old lady's house and she's got a lot of stuff and talking to her she's never met me and he's gone it's like where's where's this guy he comes in a few minutes later he says no he locked his key in the car but it's okay he just quickly phoned the cops the cops came and opened his door and so he could get his keys I'm like what that doesn't happen in a third world country somebody's dead bleeding in the street you wait two hours for the cops to arrive. So, so the cops work in America, right? The streets are clean. The rivers are clean. Um, the police really do their job. And you know what's the first thing people think? They don't always say it to me, but generally what people think when I say that type of stuff is this. I want to go. How do I get there? 
I want to go to America. How do I get there? That's exactly what Jesus came to answer. He came to tell us about heaven, but not only tell us about, well, it's a great place. He came to tell us about it and show us how to live it and provide a way for us to get there. Essentially, that's what Jesus does when he comes to earth. Unfortunately, I've got to say to these people, well, it's very difficult to go to America, but good luck. The plane fly very far and ask Jason, it's, it's incredibly um, it's a big struggle. In actual fact, I would say it's harder to go visit America from South Africa than it is to go to heaven. We'll talk about that in a moment's time. This is a difficult topic in general when we talk about heaven. It's hard for us to talk about. And I think it's because we don't have a complete theology of the situation in our understanding. Because generally, this is sort of what... Um, we, we, we think when we talk about heaven is that all that matters is heaven, especially in Christian circles. We are told the only thing that matters in life is heaven. That's it. Nothing else matters. Enjoying life now doesn't matter. And we struggle with that, right? We must just sing Kumbaya now. And then when we die one day, we're going to sing Kumbaya forever. How exciting. People say, well, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to sing forever. I can't even sing. How did you sing this morning? Did you like your voice? Ophira says when she sings, even the dogs run away. We must be happy about going to a place where we have never been or seen. Right? That's a bit awkward. And to get there, you must die. Wow, that's exciting. And if we are uncertain if we will enjoy it, like if we cast a little doubt and say, well, I'm not sure if I want to go there. I don't want to sing forever. You know, we, you know how many hymn books are there going to be? And so, so if, if we feel that way and we have little fun here on earth and we're not allowed to have fun, then we are ungodly. It's like that quote I put there. If you want to... If you want to have heaven when you die, you must have hell while you live. That's almost the message that comes from the Christian community. Like, if I want to go to heaven, I must make sure that it's got to have hell here. Don't enjoy this life. A Sunday school teacher was telling the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Those of you who know the story. She said that Lazarus sat outside the rich man's gate, covered with sores and begging for food. And that the rich man passed Lazarus without even seeing him. But when they both died, Lazarus went to heaven. Well, the rich man found himself in hell, which the teacher described most graphically. When she had finished, she asked the children, Now, which would you rather be, the rich man or Lazarus? One little fellow answered, I would like to be the rich man until I die. And then Lazarus afterwards. <laughs> this kid perfectly illustrates our predicament, doesn't it? We want to have a good life here and we would like to go to heaven as well. Why must we suffer here so that we can have heaven? You get the predicament. I once heard the story of a young boy who went to church on a Sunday night. The preacher asked, how many of you want to go to heaven? Everybody but this young boy put up his hand. The preacher looked at him and asked, son, don't you want to go to heaven? Sure, the boy answered. 
But I thought you were getting up a load for tonight. We want a good long life in eternity. And we want a good long life here. And here's something I should throw out to you. God promises us early on in the book, in the book of Exodus. He promises us that we can have a long life here on the earth if we honor our parents. So that tells us that God does want us to have a long life here as well. I have good news. Really good news. Jesus wants us to have life abundantly. He says that in John chapter 10 verse 10. He says, I want you to have life and life to the full. Heaven starts here on earth already as we start living like heavenly people and embrace the joy of life. We can have a full life. I'm going to use the example of Lazarus and the rich man. You can have a full life of wealth like the rich man minus the selfishness and enjoy the eternal life like Lazarus. You can have both. If you're in Christ. We can enjoy our time on earth. We don't have to beg for heaven to come and beg God for us to die. So we can go to heaven. Christians have been accused of this. People have said, well, you're too heavenly minded for earthly use. You're so focused on, on getting to heaven that you don't do anything in this world. Your life is meaningless. You add no value to people's lives because you've got your way to heaven. And that's all you think about. I think about the monks who are locked up in, 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 in some um, castles in the middle of nowhere. And nuns who refuse to come into contact with the world. Which is direct contradiction of Jesus' teaching on salt and light. Christians who are like that are not real Christians. They're not real Christians. Real Christians are of great use to the earth. They make the world a better place by bringing heaven's ways here. But they themselves are not bound by earth's blessings since they look forward to a real life to come. My very first sermon I preached here four, five years ago, I had 13 points and one of the points was this. Heaven is about a person more than a place. I still stand by that. Heaven will never make sense to you if it's a place that you want to attain. It's about the person who lives there. That's why Jesus spoke more about God than about heaven. Maybe the key thing that he, he, he wants us to know about heaven is about who lives there. And if we want to be with him. In one of his books, A.M. Hunter relates the story of a dying man who asked his Christian doctor to tell him something about the place which he was going to. As the doctor fumbled for a reply, he heard a scratching at the door and he had this answer. Do you hear that? He asked his patient. It's my dog. I left him downstairs, but he has grown impatient and has come up and hears my voice. He has no notion of what's inside this door, but he knows that I am here. Isn't it the same with you? You don't know what lies beyond the door, but you know that your master is there. Brother Chuck, in four days' time, five days', five days time, you're going to go through doors. There's going to be doctors with you, but the doors are going to close behind you, and the only person that's going with you that loves you more than your wife is going to be God. 
and all of us here today pray God's richest blessing on you. And I feel jealous in a sense because you're going to have a unique encounter with God. Because he's going to take care of you, brother. And if he decides to take you, which I don't believe is going to be the case, you're going to be with him forever. Don't fear what's on the other side of that door because your, your master is there. Now, we know how to get to heaven. We've spoken about it in this church many times. We know how heavenly people live. We've spoken about that many times. But why did Jesus preach about heaven? What did he say? So I came up with a few summary thoughts that uh, I think we can, we can unpack quickly. And um, I know we're going a little bit over time here. The first thing that Jesus said, as I read the, the scriptures, is that this life isn't all there is. That's the reason why he spoke about heaven. He's trying to tell us this life isn't all there is. This life is great. We've been created. Well, the earth has been created for us and we've been created for heaven. So there's a purpose to this. It's like Jesus is saying, you think you have a great time now? Just wait and see. Jesus spoke about banquets. He spoke about rejoicing. He spoke about angels who rejoice in eternity. At the repentance of one's soul. Why does he depict heaven as a party? Because maybe it just is. And maybe that's not something that stimulates you. You might say, well, Jesus might say to us, hey, maybe your life is horrible. Maybe you've had a really hard life on earth. The teaching about heaven is Jesus saying, it's okay, man. Just hang in there. The real deal is coming. So either way, whether you have a good life or a bad life, heaven is great. Because it's either an upgrade from what you have now or something totally different that makes you forget all the sufferings that you've had in your life. There's a great time coming in a great place. One lovely moonlit night, a grandfather and his small granddaughter went for a walk. The stars were magnificent. We were last night, night on Detroit Lake and we saw the moon come up and it's just absolutely incredible. So I can imagine this. And so the stars were magnificent. As the grandfather named individual stars and constellations, the granddaughter exclaimed, Grandpa, if the bottom side of heaven is this beautiful, just think how beautiful the top must be. For this reason, I believe Paul says in Colossians 3 and verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Because the things up there are far greater than the things down here. I mean, if we have to think, let's just think about our town. Let's just think about the struggles in our own lives. If we just think about those things the whole time, no wonder planet Earth is struggling with depression. We're incapable of looking beyond just the physical that we see. We've got to look up. Paul says something intriguing in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Christ gives us hope in this life, but also in the life to come. Clearly, this life is good. This is why we fight to live. We go to doctors when we get sick. But there's more to this life than just this life. Let me ask this question. What are you chasing? We're all chasing something. The first five years of life you're chasing just to survive. You don't kill yourself. Somebody else will. Running into the road and... You're chasing to survive. Then you're chasing to go to high school. Then you're chasing to graduate. Graduate. Then you're chasing to get a job. And then you're chasing to get a husband or a wife. And then you're chasing to get kids. 
and then you chase for the rest of your life paying for them. That's just a joke. But then you, you chase launching them into life. You want them to be successful. And then they're successful. And what do you chase then? Retirement. And when you get to retirement, what do you chase then? Then you stop chasing. It's like, oh, whoa, whoa. The next thing. What's the next thing? The next thing is death. The next thing is death. You die. Surely there must be something bigger, larger, more powerful than these things that we chase. What could possibly be bigger, more powerful, more incredible than chasing those things? What about something that's eternal? What about something that doesn't end? That's what the teaching of heaven does. Jesus gives us a vision, uh, something to chase that is beyond this life. That's beyond these temporary things that we pursue. Everything that we pursue. Everything that we chase on this planet bring, could bring about hurt and definitely comes to an end. There's only one thing that doesn't. It's eternal life. So this life isn't all there is. C.S. Lewis said, The fact that our heart yearns for something earth cannot supply is proof that heaven must be our home. Forgot to put in a point there. It's not in the PowerPoint. I'm just going to have to share it with you. The second point was this. Death is not the end, but the beginning. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, that the last enemy God will destroy is death. Death gets destroyed on the day that God opens the gates of heaven. The teaching of heaven gives us hope for the future that death isn't final. We don't have to feel alarmed that our lives feel incomplete or wanting. This is an, an image of the most southwestern tip of um, Africa. Southern tip of Africa, it's, it's, it, it was named a few hundred years ago. And the East Indian Company used to travel from Europe around the tip of Africa to India to go um, trade in spices. And they wanted a halfway stop. And this became the halfway spot between India and, and, and Europe. One of the early explorers of South Africa's ocean waters... Bartholomeus Diaz went around that piece of land on a stormy sea. His ship threatened to go to pieces, so he called the place the Cape of Storms. The Cape of Storms. But a few years later, Vasco da Gama changed the name to this, the Cape of Good Hope. For he saw ahead of him the jewels and treasures of India. Because he knew if they have a halfway point, they could trade more with India. You can call this life a life of storms if you wish. But if you can see the glorious redemption of eternity ahead of you, you can call it what it is only in Christ. A life of good hope. The third point is this. The reason why Jesus preaches about heaven is to tell us a message. That we will be rewarded. Some people have it really hard in this life. A child born mentally disabled. People who are born into poverty. They are buried into poverty from the day that they are born. Life is a battle daily. Others are born into a different type of burden. They've been called by God to become world leaders. Or become missionaries in foreign countries. They make great sacrifices. 
Some people live lives filled with extreme stress. And many, because of their testimony of Jesus Christ, receive persecution. For Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Don't be discouraged. I am bringing a reward with me when heaven opens. Luke 6, 23, be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. That's Jesus' own words. Revelation 22, verse 12, the end of the Bible. Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Isn't that incredible? There's nothing that you can do on this planet that God will not reward you for, either good or bad. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. And the most beautiful text, Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Another point is this. Invest carefully. The reason why Jesus talks about heaven is because he wants us to invest very carefully. I probably don't have to read the text to you, right? Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When Jesus teaches us about heaven, it forces us to change the way that we spend money. Some people believe we need to spend our extra money on experiences. I'm one of those. I'd rather spend that hundred bucks on going for a bungee jump than buying a new foot spa. Foot spa never gets used. And other people feel that money must be spent on things that you can touch and feel. You see it. Now, question, what does Jesus say? Matter erodes. Physical stuff break. Experiences come and go. They're not eternal. So what can we spend money on that is eternal, can never be stolen, and can never break or be eaten by moths? I'll leave that with you text says the man who does the will of God lives forever the teaching of heaven focuses forces us to ask the question what goes with me when I die a story is told about a man who found out it was his time to go to heaven how exciting he asked the Lord if he could bring just one thing well he's pretty bold the Lord said no finally after many requests the Lord said okay you can bring one thing just one thing. Man is happy. Man, he's packing the bag. Um, a suitcase full of gold. When he arrived in heaven, he's there at the gates. The angels say to him, Hey, dude, sorry. Yeah. You can't, you, you can't just bring that in here. This is heaven, man. You can't bring that in here. He said, Well, the Lord said I could. Okay, they said, um, go in. Uh, but by the way, what is in there? And so he 
they opened the bag and, and they looked at it. And then one of the angels said to the other one, oh, it's just pavement. First Corinthians 2 verse 9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The things that we value physically on this planet is absolutely worth nothing in eternal life. Absolutely nothing. We can waste money on many things, but it is never a waste to help the poor or to sponsor the mission of God so that the gospel can reach the ends of the earth. And lastly, Jesus teaches us through his teaching of heaven that injustice will end. The world is unfair, ladies and gentlemen. The world is very unfair in many ways. Some people are blessed with strength, long life, looks, wealth, intellect. While other people are cursed with heartache after heartache, illness and suffering and disease. It's a very sad place. Some kids are born with really good parents. Some kids are born with really bad parents. It's an unjust world. We will never be able to correct the injustices of earth. We are incapable. That is why people who are on death row, they say about 4% of people who've been executed were actually not guilty. We are incapable of administering proper justice. That's why we need God. We can try to correct Colonialism. We can try to correct the, the people who came and conquered the Americas and, and take their property. That's what happened in, happening in Africa. Take away the white people's lands because they took it from the black people. Give it back to the. We can try as much as we can to correct injustices. We cannot without God. We are wasting our time in a sense trying to correct it. If we look at life through the eyes of atheism, life is very unfair. The father of atheism today, I would say, is this guy, Richard Dawkins. This is what he says about life. This is how he observes life on earth. He says, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. What he's essentially saying is, this is a messed up place. And it doesn't matter what we think or what we feel. It is what it is. We die in shame. There's nothing good, nothing bad. It just is what it is. There will be no ultimate justice. That is the sad part about the atheistic worldview. The atheist, because he doesn't believe in God, is also robbed of heaven. He has no outlook towards a better life. He cannot see that this life will be reckoned with. That Adolf Hitler will pay for what he has done. That Jack the Ripper will actually be caught. They can't see it like that. They just accept it. It is what it is. Adolf Hitler never pays for what he's done. Jesus brings a different message when he preaches about heaven. He says you'll be rewarded for everything. How incredible is that? We have a hope that goes beyond this life. That tells us that all things will be straightened out. All sorrow will end. And God promises that to us. 2 Peter 2, 3 verse 13. But in keeping with his promise... We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so the place, this heaven place, is a place where everything goes right. I'm not talking about politics, okay? Because I had a guy here um, two weeks ago. He said he, he even took out his flicker from his car 
his left flicker. That's how serious he is about being right. I'm not talking about politics. All right. I'm talking about being righteous. Everything will go good in heaven. There will be no injustices. Thomas More said, Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I have a, a song. Uh, it's a music video. That I want to play for you. And it might be a little bit uncomfortable. The intention is not that. But I want you to think for a moment. You've lost a loved one, I'm sure. Somebody you know has died. And maybe in the future, maybe not too far from now, somebody you love will die. As you listen to the song, it, it's pretty emotional. But it, it makes us think about heaven. It makes us think about the people that we love that have died. Where are they now? And then I'll make a few comments about that after. It's written and sang by Danny and Lizzie. They are twins from Vancouver. They wrote the song in memory of Lizzie's friends who had died. It is called Dancing in the Sky. I think they invited other people to um, send them photos of loved ones who have died. And they included them in the music video. I want to give you, honestly, just a moment to reflect on the people that you love. That have died during the next five minutes as we listen to the song. Thanks, Janet. Tell me what does it look like in heaven? Is it peaceful? Is it free like they say? Does the sun shine bright forever? Your fears and your pain gone away. Cause here on earth, it feels like everything good is the same since you left. And here on earth, everything's different. There's an Since you left
What does it look like in heaven? That's the question that she has. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8, Paul writes and he says, Absence from the body means presence with the Lord. Paul is saying he'd prefer to be dead than alive. Philippians 1, 21 to 24, Paul says something similar. He says, being with Christ is far being better than, far better than being on the earth. Why would Paul say those things? And I wonder if these people that she's singing to, I wonder, I wonder if they could answer back. What would they say? Would they say, oh my goodness, I miss bacon. Well, they say, like, I, I'm really looking forward to go vote in the elections and, and, and stuff like that. What do you think is going on in their minds? Because Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I'd rather be there than here. Why did Paul say so? Because in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1 to 4, the text tells us Paul says that he himself has gone to heaven. And he heard inexpressible things, things that men are not permitted to speak about. I don't know what that is. I don't know what he saw. But I think that changed his life. Heaven, ladies and gentlemen, is a place that if you go there, you don't want to come back. It doesn't matter how great somebody sings. You actually don't want to come back. You actually don't want to be here. We hurt when people die, but they don't hurt. Let me qualify that. Those who are in Christ. One of the greatest evidences for life after death comes from near-death experiences. I don't know if you've heard of that before. People who die, they come, and they, they come back and they, they basically, many of them say the same things across different cultures, across the world, say the same thing. They talk about an extreme light. They talk about an extreme feeling of deep love and peace that is indescribable. And you know what they all say that had that experience? They all say the same thing. You want to guess what it is? I didn't want to come back. What place could be so incredible? What, what feeling could be so intense that you would say, I don't want to go back to my wife. I don't want to go back to my kids on the planet. I want to stay right here. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what's waiting for us. And I spoke about it earlier. That flight, that flight from South Africa to America, it's hard and it's tough and your back hurts and it feels like your ankles want to break. They want to burst. It's hard. Do you know how easy it is to get to heaven? It's so easy. You just believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And you say it with your mouth. And you show it by changing your life. Saying, you know, I don't want to live this life anymore. And by being immersed into water. Something very simple. Submitting your life. Being buried through the waters of baptism. And then God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to help you to be a good person. Because you cannot never be good enough yourself. I'm going to help you with this. We cannot work ourselves there. It's a simple decision and act in faith. It's easier than climbing on a plane, flying to South Africa. And if you need to do that, you have the opportunity this morning to do that. My brother, would you mind leading us in the final song? And then I want us to just turn around and we're going to pray for Brother Chuck just where he's sitting. Thank you. Let's stand.